Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning as we begin this new sermon series, Walking with Jesus, Colossians chapter 1. Pastor Tig has just read for us. Well, for seven weeks after Easter, we sat here slack-jawed as we listened to the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus that changes everything. And then last week, we watched the dramatic fireworks and witnessed the wind display of the Holy Spirit, and, and Vicar Joel stood here and unpacked the pattern of Pentecost, that threefold miracle of the day that continues even now in our lives. Perhaps you remember the miracle of speaking the gospel in a way that captured people's attention, and then the miracle of hearing that, that penetrated those first listeners' heart and resulted in the miracle of harvesting. That's the ingathering of some 3,000 people into the kingdom of God, which is the world put right. That begins even now through our faith in Jesus and will become permanent and complete when he comes again. Someone said, thank you for showing us maps. It really helps me put this in context. So here's Colossae. After all that excitement, all of that fast-paced progress of the gospel, we now step into a 12-sermon series based on a letter written to a small congregation in the city of Colossae. It's a case study, if you will. In that, that pattern of, of Pentecost, speaking and hearing and then harvesting, working itself out in real time. So let's take a look. First, the speaking. So how many of you skip the preface of a book that you're about to read? You know, all of those notes from the author or the editor or the publisher because you're so anxious to get to the story itself. And frankly, it's tempting to do that here. But let's not. Let's take a moment and unpack some of the words and the phrases of these opening verses. Paul, an apostle. And the word generally means one who is sent with a message to deliver, and yet it came to have a much narrower meaning in the New Testament as a specific title used to refer to the hand-picked followers of Jesus. The original 12, minus Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him and was lost, plus Matthias, who the remaining 11 chose to replace him, plus an unexpected latecomer who no one would have ever guessed Jesus would choose, Paul. Paul is a hand-picked messenger of Jesus to speak the word to us. Now, he names Jesus using the term Christ Jesus, and he puts the title first. Christ is Greek in the Greek and the Messiah in the Hebrew. These are titles, not specific given names. The Messiah, the Christ, is the long-promised conquering king who comes to reestablish God's kingdom. That's the world put right. 
The Messiah, the Christ, is the one that everyone is still longing for and still looking for, usually in all the wrong places. Jesus is his given name, a name that means he will save his people from their sins. Timothy was a young helper that Paul had recruited along the way. Then it's to all the saints, which you need to know in the New Testament are not extra special, extra good followers of Jesus. A saint is any and every person who believes in Jesus. The word literally means holy people which is what you become when you believe. So I might challenge you to this today, that you would spend the rest of the day referring to each other that way. Hi, I'm St. Wally, and this is my wife, St. Lois, and these are our children, Saints Sarah, Elizabeth, Jonathan, and Matthew. Saints and faithful brothers. Now, ladies, I am sorry that language developed this way over the ages, using masculine terms to refer to all y'all. So there are some translations of this verse into English that acknowledge that the term brothers in the original language can and should be read brothers and sisters. One time when Jesus was told that his mother and brothers, there it is again, so let's add sisters, were outside wanting to talk with him. He looked around at those listening and to his teaching, and he asked, Who are my mother, my brothers, and sisters? And then he answered his own question. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And the will of God is simply that everyone believes in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Now, these saints and faithful family members are in Christ at Colossae. Now, don't skip over this one because in Christ is one of Paul's favorite phrases. He uses it 33 times in his letters and 48 times if you include the longer version, in Christ Jesus our Lord. In effect, Paul does name their, their physical location, Colossae, but even more importantly, where they reside spiritually. Your whole life is located in Christ, which makes you a resident of the kingdom of God. That's the world put right, right with God, right with one another, right with the, the creation right now by faith until Jesus comes again and makes all things right permanently. And then Paul wraps this whole little preface up and puts a bow on it with the words, grace and peace to you. Grace is God's undeserved, unlimited love for you, revealed ultimately at the cross. And peace is the result of that grace working itself out in your life. Peace is the complete contentment of your soul that is delivered by the resurrection of Jesus that changes everything. The pattern of Pentecost begins with grace and with peace being spoken into your lives. And then comes the hearing. 
Look, I'm trying to teach you this morning how to meditate on God's Word. By immersing yourself into these words and, and, and these phrases. In fact, this is my, my challenge for you for the next 12 weeks. That, that each day of the week you would pick one of the words or the phrases from our text. Put it on your phone. Write it on a scrap of paper. Stick it to the refrigerator or the bathroom mirror. Make it the wallpaper on your computer screen. And stop for one whole minute in the morning and put it into your head for the day and then for one whole minute at noon and another at supper and again before you go to sleep here are some more Paul thanks God now cleverly hidden in the middle of the Greek word for thanks which is oikaristeo is the Greek word for grace, charis. Now somewhere along the line I was taught that giving thanks, we give thanks for, for what God does. And we praise God for who He is. And the number one thing to thank God for is His grace that has been poured out on us in Jesus' birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and His promise coming again in glory to make all things new and right permanently. And that grace, when it is heard, does three things in your life. First, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, God's grace creates and sustains faith. And faith is trusting in Jesus so completely and continuously that Jesus becomes the lens through which you look at everything else. Secondly, that faith which is created and sustained by God's grace produces love in your life. Now, not this silly, sappy, romantic love of Hollywood, but God's love for you in Christ, which is an attitude of respect and concern and curiosity for the people that you meet, even when you may not particularly like the way that they're behaving. This love is an intentional, self-sacrificing act of service done for their benefit that they might actually meet Jesus in you. And then third, that kind of faith that produces that kind of love is built on hope. And that hope is not our modern day wishful thinking, gee, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. That hope is the absolute certainty of something in the future that you are simply waiting for in the present. It is the hope, it is the certainty that Jesus will come again and he will make the world right once and for all. And so you have them. Faith, active in love, based on hope, is a summary of this entire sermon series and all that it means to walk with Jesus every day. 
When you hear the good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he creates faith that produces love that is built on hope, the certainty that what we have now, people, is not all there is. That a new heaven and a new earth is waiting for us just around the corner of time. Faith is always active in love because of that hope that we have in Christ. And so we have the pattern of Pentecost. First the speaking, then the hearing, and now the harvesting. The word of truth, the gospel, breaks your life open to realize that you are far worse than you could have ever imagined and yet you are more dearly loved than you could have ever dreamed to realize that your life has a purpose, it has a, a direction that God wants to spend eternity with you. And when that becomes real to you, then your life will begin to bear fruit. The harvest has come, and faith, active in love, based on hope, begins to increase more and more. Now, Jesus told a story once about a tree that looked really good, but had no fruit on it. And the farmer who owned the tree was going to cut it down, but his manager asked for a little more time to fertilize and to water and to prune it to see if it might still be salvageable. As we take the first steps on our walk with Jesus, I feel somewhat like Epaphras, who was the pastor of the Colossian congregation. He had traveled to find Paul and to share with him a problem that he saw developing in his people that prompted Paul to write this letter. And although the problem is never stated specifically, the undercurrent of Colossians is the disruption of the Pentecost pattern. The gospel was spoken, the gospel had been heard, but somehow the harvest was missing. And that hasn't changed. It turns out that you can actually sit in church your whole life and listen to the glorious words of the gospel and miss the harvest. Now the following examples are not, trust me, specific individuals in this congregation. They are simply composites of myself and what I have seen over the years. So first, there is a successful conservative businessman, and he is making money hand over fist. And he's thoroughly enjoying the fruits of his labor. He goes to church, he knows the Bible and his Lutheran doctrine forward and backwards. He's generous at least with his money, although his time is really too valuable to give away. But in his heart, he harbors a niggling attitude of pride that he's not really even aware of most of the time. But trust me that those closest to him are. 
because they're the ones who feel the pressure to conform, to try and to live up to his standards and his expectations. Secondly, is a remarkably brilliant, inspiring leader. I mean, she's going places. And she wants her children in a Christian school so that they can learn their Bible lessons and and can grow to know the difference between right and wrong. Weekly worship, a relationship with other believers, deep penetrating study of God's word. She gives a little nod and a wink, maybe someday in the future when she's not so busy. And so she goes through the motions of faith irregularly and inconsistently. (laughs) And then there's the one who is a natural. He has the whole package, looks, talents, athleticism, charm. He's good with people, has a cool job, and his hobbies run the gamut of coolness, hunting and fishing and fitness and biking and, and boating. And Jesus? Well, Jesus is a bit of a sideshow not the main attraction. He's been told his whole life that it's important and that it's necessary, that he is a sinner in need of forgiveness if he wants to go to heaven someday. But hey, that's a long way off. Add another. She is the one who puts on a great show but has a big, dark, ugly secret that she hopes no one ever discovers. Bright and shiny on the outside, admired and even respected, but on the inside, she hates who she really is, and the pain of that self-loathing is is constantly seeking relief. Oh, and one more, lest we forget, there is the one who has worked hard his whole life and hopes to enjoy his retirement. But there are constant reminders that his body is aging and he watches too much news and only the news that confirms what he already believes. And he's afraid, although he might deny it, but the fear reveals itself over and over in his anger, which sometimes turns in on itself and becomes depression. And on and on. Into such lives and such circumstances, the pattern of Pentecost is repeated. The good news of forgiveness and new life is spoken again today. And if you're hearing it for the first time or for the 10,000th time, then pray with me. I thank God for the good news about Jesus that changes me again, starting today. I want to see and to experience that change this week. Show me where to start. Give me courage to walk with Jesus. Produce in me the harvest of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.